Welcome to Place Here Time Now. I'm Pam McKinnon, and this is Season 1, Episode 2, with writers Larissa Fasthorse and Bruce Norris. This conversation was recorded over Zoom on Thursday, August 20th, 2020. In the world of ACT, we were quickly moving out of our costume shop and our office spaces. The reprise of Peter Quo's virtual production of In Love and Warcraft with actors from the ACT MFA class of 22 was starting up in conjunction with Perseverance Theater in Alaska, and the Democratic National Convention was in full swing. You take people down um, paths in your brain that you feel are familiar and then screw it up, right? And so our brain, you know, is wired to recognize pattern and to enjoy pattern and create pattern. And so what we're just doing is disrupting those patterns and people have to find new patterns. And that's actually creating new ways of thinking and forces them into ways that may create new ideas. And that, that's really all we're doing. It's very simple brain chemistry. Hi, I'm American Conservatory Theater's Artistic Director Pam McKinnon, and this is Place Here Time Now. Today I'm in conversation with writers Larissa Fasthorse and Bruce Norris. This will be fun. Larissa Fasthorse is an award-winning writer and choreographer from the Sechangu Lakota Nation. She is the co-founder of Indigenous Direction. Her satirical comedy, The Thanksgiving Play, which started at Playwrights Horizons and the Geffen Playhouse, was one of the top 10 most produced plays in America last season. Larissa's awards include the Penn Laura Pell's Theater Award for an American Playwright, the NEA Distinguished New Play Development Grant, the AATE Distinguished Play Award, the Sundance Ford Foundation Fellowship, Arend Harris Fellowship, and the UCLA Native American Program Woman of the Year. She lives in Santa Monica with her husband, the sculptor Ed Hogan. And my dear friend Bruce Norris is the author of Clyburn Park, which premiered in 2010 at Playwrights Horizons in New York and received the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, as well as the Olivier Evening Standard and Tony Awards. In 2018, 2019, his play Downstate was seen at both Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago and the National Theater in London. In 2017, he adapted Brecht's Arturo Uy for the Donmar Warehouse in London, and in 2018, The Low Road, which premiered at the Royal Court Theatre and has been seen at the Public Theatre in New York. Other plays include The Qualms, Domesticated, A Parallelogram, The Unmentionables, The Pain and the Itch, and Purple Heart, most of which premiered at Steppenwolf Theatre Chicago, where he is an ensemble member. He lives in New York. Oh my goodness, Bruce, I directed a lot of those plays. of things, but I just want us to have a conversation. And Bruce, you and I go way back. Way, um, way back. Way back, like crazy. It's crazy. We used to have darker hair. and did, um, and more of it, and more, in uh, my case. I'm so confused. I'm so embarrassed. I'm glad this will just be audio. And Larissa, you and I really don't know each other. I mean, I think we've been in the room maybe yeah. once, and you were so, I have a, a, a memory, and it could have been a conference, and I think we saw each other, and you were just very warm, and I have like a memory <laughs> of warmth. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I think it was at one of the TCG things, I'm pretty sure. But Bruce and Larissa, how do you know each other? Uh, uh, we know each other because we're both started working, we both started working on, and continue to be working on, <laughs> I think some, it's like a decade later. Yes, at a least. A project uh, for Federal Hall, a National Monument in New York on Wall Street, um, which involves about six playwrights. Is that correct? There's six of us, five or six? Yeah, six with me. And, yeah. 
And we've been trying to put together a 45-minute project between six people. So how, I, I can't do the math. Divide that up. Oh, we're each God. responsible for something like seven minutes, and we're still not finished. It's, it's been years. It, it's going on forever. <laughs> and many it, workshops. Hopefully, it will be something good when it's done, but, but we're still, <laughs> we still are at it. Yeah, that's it. I keep forgetting this is all your fault. I forget that all the time. <laughs> we have to remember this. A conversation yesterday actually with Paula Vogel. And, um, you know, we're in this moment of theatrical shutdown in one sense, although I, I feel busier than ever. And there's so much theater now, you know, being created for virtual Zoom rooms. And, um, and that is theater. And it's really interesting. But Paula said, um, because there are a number, there were a number of people in this conversation who are theater goers. And at, at this particular moment, they're reading plays for the first time since high school. And, and Paula said that there's something that she finds, and not just as a playwright, but as an avid reader of plays, that you get this moment of reading a play where you commune with a voice. You, you know, it, it really is a singular voice. And she feels that she doesn't get that when she's watching a play. It's a louder medium out of, you know, a constellation of people that have been mucking about. But the reading of a play can actually be more focused. But plus, I, I think that the illusion that we're attempting to create is the illusion not of a singular voice. We're trying to create the, this fantasy that there are, there's a life happening on stage in front of you, and it's not being directed by this one, uh, this one brain. It's being directed, it's, being, it's happening organically. That's the illusion. So when you read the play, you can see the hand more clearly, but when you're watching it, you don't want to watch the hand. It just happens, the weird thing that I have to say it took me a while to get used to as a playwright. It just made me think of that, that how people feel, um, people feel like they know you so well. I don't know if that happens to you, Bruce, all the time. Like, especially like dramaturgs and directors, they'll be like, oh my gosh, listen, they'll be talking to me. And I'm like, have I ever met this person? Like, they, they think they know you because they've read so many of my plays. And that, was, that took me a long time. It used to freak me out in the beginning. I was like, I don't know who you are. Because being a dancer, I was a dancer, a classical ballet dancer, and we're you know, just so, um, and as a balancing dancer, so we're so separate from personal identity and, and everything. And it really freaked me out. But people do, when they read a lot of your work, feel like they know you personally. And I have people come up to me all the time. And I'm like, I have never met this person. And it's, it's an odd phenomenon that happens. They feel like they know you. I have people assume, assume before meeting me that they're going to dislike me. This happens to me <laughs> frequently. Um, it, I was at a, a dinner about a year and a half ago with Susan Laurie Parks, and we, for some reason, never met. And she was shocked to, um, that I got along, we got along, because I guess she had seen plays I'd written and thought she would despise me. Oh, yeah, that's I didn't I, have that feeling. That's all right. I, FYI, much, I didn't have any reason to despise you before we met. I'd much, <laughs> rather, I'd much rather have people be pleasantly surprised when they meet me instead of the other way around. Sure. I'd much rather they, they didn't anticipate that I was going to be a good person and then found out I was really just an asshole. Right. Be shockingly yeah. disappointed at the dinner yeah. party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you go to the restroom and your chair has been taken away. That would yeah. be bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it, is it also that, that, that people still sometimes assume that they're sort of like, yes, the play has the voice of the author, but that people mistakenly assume that, that within that is a character who is, who represents the playwright or, you know, that the, the protagonist is you or the... That happens to me a lot. I don't know, but 
few, but yeah, for sure. People always are like, oh, I've been, I was trying to figure out which one was you. I'm like, none. I mean, all but none, right? All but I mean, none, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I think that's the strongest thing about Thanksgiving play, if I may, that it, it hides its hand very well. That it's quite, um, we can, you can't tell that it is a piece of agitprop theater, really, because it seems as though, first of all, it's funny. And second, because we don't know where the author's voice lies. I mean, I used to be, my, one of my heroes is Wally Shawn. And I, what I always enjoyed about his play so much is that the politics, the political agenda of it was mysterious and, and ungraspable somehow because he was hiding his own hand so well. Mm, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce said something nice, I'm going to be quiet. Are there any silver linings in this moment or is this just so bleak right now? Well, the, well the, partly the difficulty of it is I think that we're, so we do live theater. So we're not used to doing things on camera as much. And, and so when we have these limited, like we get to glimpse each other in a box in the middle of a heated conversation, or let's just say an argument, and then we don't get to see what follows that moment of heated argument. We don't get to see the person relax or say, well, we're walking out of the building now, you know, let's go have a, a drink. Uh, there's no continuity to it. It exists, everything exists out of context. And so things feel both less important and more, too important at the same time. Mm -hmm. And in, in isolation, I just go kind of a little nutty because as Pam, you know, I, I live to argue about things and there's no one to argue with. So uh, I'm just stuck with my own diseased brain. I mean, I also feel that's where you test out quote material, right? That it, that it is sort of like, I mean, I, mean, I've, I feel like there've been conversations you and I have had arguments or not, I, I tend to avoid the argue side of stuff, but you know, it can feel like at times an argument, but um, four years later, I'm sort of handed a play and it's sort of like, oh, this, this was what you were touching. Yes, but I think you're being disingenuous by claiming that you avoid argument. You're just a very cunning arguer. Yeah, I'm, I'm more a, like a, like a three-point, a three-pointer, yeah. Yes, you wait yeah. on the perimeter. You wait on the yeah. perimeter until you have clearance and then you yeah. sink a three-point shot. Yeah. I, let, I, let the, I let the squabble happen yeah. and I fall back and then I score. Is that, is that arguing? I don't know. <laughs> it's cheating. It sounds like winning. It's cheating. It's, 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 thank you, Larissa. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> but that's good to know about Bruce because I suddenly was like, I'm thinking back to the last time you and I hung out and had tea and I'm like, you came with questions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, huh, interesting. I didn't realize what that's we what gonna, you were doing. Are we going to have small talk? Are we going to like just have small talk? You want to get right to some interesting topics. <laughs> but it was like, literally, you had like a list. It was, yeah, sure. Like, now I'm rethinking and, it. I'm like, oh, I got to be careful. Well, or, but, but, but not everything winds up in print or, or maybe, or maybe it will. I mean, maybe this is, you know, you're in it for the long game and you have 30, 30 <laughs> plays in your, in your head and eventually they'll all drop. But it, I, I mean, it does feel like that's part of your process, right? There's something social. There's there's a there's a, a an idea, a question, something like historical or sociological or big picture that gradually turns into are, are you asking both of us or or me? I think just you right now. Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, I'm very very grateful for the fact that I have no social media presence of any kind. I mean, if I was on Twitter and there were some kind of permanent record of all the stupid shitty things I've said, 
I, I would I would kill myself, I think, because I mean that's how I that's how I work out my stupidity is in in you know conversation with you or or our mutual friends, you know, and then people, you know, educate me and I, oh I sound grotesquely humble. I don't mean to say that they correct me and I try to, I, and then I have to rethink my position. Yeah. And Larissa, where does a play come from for you? Oh. Well, I'm a very organic writer. I don't outline. I don't um, don't know how my plays end. I don't know what they're about. I don't, you know, when I start writing them. Um, for me, I've been really, you know, I'm super, super privileged in that almost every play I've written has been under commission. So I kind of had a, I have a starting place, you know, like I, so for me, when I'm working at, with a theater company, I always look at like, I start with who are the original people, whose land are we standing on um, and start there and then start and I go to the theater. Um, I came from the film and TV world. So um audience and I guess also like Bruce said as a performer audience is central so I, I go to the theater that's commissioning me I sit in their audience um, I stand in the bathroom line I listen to what they're talking about and just figure out who they are and where we're and what land we're standing on um, and I start from there um, and then I just do tons of research I'm a real nut for research I could just research the rest of my life I don't need to write anything I'm, I, that'd be great um, and uh, I research things around where I am until something becomes interesting and then I do a ton of research on that and I have to set a date like when I'm done with the research. Otherwise I'll just, like, I'll just do it forever. And then I just keep throwing stuff up there and throwing questions up there in my head until similarly to what you just said, suddenly characters appear and they start talking and a world appears. And once I feel like they're, they're talking to each other, I just start typing until they're done and then rewrite it 5,000 times. But <laughs> yeah. How, how specific are you about how do I say this about like the kind of scoring of what's said? Because I, I get very, very hung up on, um, no, the, the music of this has to go this way and then it has to turn left here and then it has to go. And I don't, I, I, so the idea that I would come up with, it would just be like, you know, improvisational jazz to me is not pleasing because I'm a sort of melody person. I wanted to go, you know, so yeah. what, do you just let it flow? Yeah, I mean, I would say I write at the speed of life, right? So I write my dialogue, my strength is dialogue and it's writing and it's at a, a, a life kind of speed, a very fast speed. Um, I'm clearly, I'm a very fast talking person. I'm talking really slowly right now. Um, and so this is, you know, me trying to slow down. Um, so I write at that, I write at the speed that I speak and the speed I think and the speed I like to hear things spoken on stage. Um, but yeah, so I guess for me, like what that part that you're talking about, Bruce, comes in the room, right? that's where we then I then I'm really particular like I cannot do not put an um or a well or a so in front of a line like the rhythm has to be exact especially with comedy right you know that like the rhythm has to be so exactly perfect and and, mo and beat by beat and so that's where that comes in for me I don't really worry about it on the page I worry about it in the room and like you know can this four line forward line be three words because that would make a better beat a better rhythm to it. Mm -hmm. So that's where I, I work it out in the room, as opposed, which I think maybe comes from being a dancer, right? Because you do all that in the room, you get together with a bunch of people and you figure it all out and you figure out the speed and the pace and the rhythm. But I, you and I, I'm sure do pretty much everything oppositely. Yeah, I think that's right. We... You're like, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty sure. Bizarro world me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. I was thinking you're the bizarro world me, but well, yes. That's, of course, what, what you would think. <laughs> Like, so can I ask a question, Pam? Do you mind if I become Please. the MC for a moment? Please. So like your sense of, because you're talking about, you say, you know, one of the things you proceed from is like the, 
the commission, which is a great thing, but also like I ask myself, you know, the ground on which I'm, these people are standing, this theater is standing. I'm trying to ask this question in an oblique way. It seems to me that you are a, you are an exhibitionist, you're a performer by nature, you want to uh, be visible or have your plays visible, and your activism seems like, I, what I, it's the chicken and egg question, like, do you right. feel like your playwriting impulse comes before your activist impulse or vice versa or simultaneously, or how do they, how do you reconcile them? Uh, no, I, I got into theater, I got into everything after um, ballet, which is like the least activist, most self-centered career on the planet, right? Um, after that, I, I made a conscious decision. I was actually speaking at the UN in Geneva, and I, I had a moment where I was talking about- um, Did you just say Geneva? Yes. Geneva? Yes. Okay. So I was at the UN there at the yeah. High Commission of Human Rights, and I was speaking okay. about um, it, at the Indigenous Peoples Conference, and I, the, the Indigenous Peoples Congress, and I was speaking about the um, positive means of globalization of, of uh, using um, film and television, which was in then in with Indigenous peoples and giving them control of their narratives, blah, blah, blah. And I had this like that moment where I started crying and while I'm talking, it was hugely embarrassing and said, you know, I realized in that moment that I had to take responsibility for how indigenous peoples are being represented. And the best way to do that was to be the writer. And that I was doing everything from too far away as a performer or a producer or whatever that I need. The writer is the one that it had to start with. And so I got into writing because I wanted to create social justice change in the world. So everything stems from that. Um, that's the only reason I'm here. There's a hundred other ways I realize I could do this that would be probably more effective and smarter, but that's the one I ended up with. So that comes first. And then it doesn't have to be playwriting. It doesn't like right now, you know, theater closed down. So I'm doing film and TV again. Um, if film and TV closed down. I do something else. You know, it doesn't have to be this. Like I said, I wasn't a theater person at all. I fake my way through most of our meetings. Y'all talk about some theater reference or Al I've never read an Albie play. Like, I don't know any of these people you're talking about, but I pretend I do. Um, huh. But I wasn't a theater person and I have no theater education. So, and I didn't, I wasn't in these plays in high school. I wasn't going to theater all the time. So um, for me, this is just a way that I can do social justice work in the world and hopefully have some positive effect. Okay, I mean, because my experience is that most mm -hmm. people who are involved in theater, they didn't get involved in it because they wanted to, make the world a better place. They got involved in it because they love theater and they have some streak of perversity in them that makes them want to express themselves through that medium. Now, after the fact, they might realize, well, I've got this incredibly privileged platform in which, through which I can speak and I can have an impact right. on people. So you might then say, I want to do something that is somehow ennobling to the world through this medium. But generally, I feel like that's, it's cart before the horse. It's like not why people go into theater. And it's a very difficult conversation to have with people because, uh, because we're on the left. I, everyone mm -hmm. here is talking as a lefty. I mean, we always have, feel it's incumbent upon us to justify everything we do through some social lens. But it's really kind of hard, in my opinion, to justify doing theater that way because mm -hmm. you couldn't come up with a more frivolous and superficial <laughs> thing to do with your time, but you do it because you're committed to the, the medium, I think. That's, that's how I've always seen it. But then of course- yeah, But see, I was also the guys commissioned in the theater, right? Like right. I had no intention of writing theater. I was writing film and TV and doing just mm -hmm. fine. And then I commissioned into my first theater play and theater was willing to do things in, with representation that 
film and TV were not 10 years ago or 13 years ago when I got into theater. Um, well, that's so, the, yeah. but isn't that because theater is a not-for-profit, um, you know, exactly. for the most part, and, uh, and film TV is profit-driven. And of course, if they're not mm-hmm. going to turn a profit, then they're not going to do it. But a theater right. would because they don't have to be driven by that same. Yeah. And program. honestly, right, because we, you know, you know, we both came from forming. So I certainly, I'm actually struggling, <laughs> openly struggling with this now, is if I am staying, I mean, I'm still doing theater right now, but if I were to stay in film and television, um, becoming anonymous is really hard for me, right? Because I'm a, a performer at heart. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people kind of know who I am in theater. I'm Larissa Casper's playwright, which is a character I created intentionally from the beginning of my career. I very much, once I started theater, I created this character of Larissa Casper's playwright that speaks at all these things and makes these appearances and, and talks in the press in the way I do. That's And who are yeah. you right now? Are you Larissa Fastworth's I'm pretty much playwright? me. I, I, Bruce is, is uh, kind of tricking me into being mostly me, yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's a, a personality that um, speaks at all the TCG conferences and things. So I had like a 10 year plan that I put together with when I got involved at TCG of how I could move the American theater toward better representation and, and of indigenous peoples. And, and I've been following that plan. And I feel like, you know, we just passed the 10 year mark. And I feel like we've gotten to that place that I wanted to get the theater, American theater field to. Um, so I'm kind of like, good, well, peace out. I'm going to see what I'm doing next. Um, I, you know, I don't want to give up. I've grown to love theater. I didn't when I started at all. Um, I was like, I really don't get this theater thing. Um, for my what first, did like, you three dislike plays. about it? It's so, well, I came from film and TV, right? So, right. and dance. So it's too slow. You have to talk so much. Oh my God. I was like, shut up already. Like, I just, it made me crazy. I'm like, in dance, you could tell this with just like two movements and we'd understand your relationship. Instead, we have to do like two pages of chit chat. Um, that used to make me nuts. And it's just so slow because I came from film and TV. So, I'd be, I was like, oh my God, they have to walk off the stage. This is killing me. You know, like the, the pace of it was so difficult for me to get used to. Um, just again, I'm just not a theater person. So I, hadn't, I didn't have a lot of experience with what, it, what the possibilities were. Um, mm-hmm. And still, it's always, it is going to be what it is. It's a particular form, which I've grown to love. And I see tons of theater now and I enjoy it. Um, it's not the first thing I think of doing still. The first thing I'll do is, is go to art. Um, just because, you know, when you go to theater, I'm thinking too much. So I don't like this whole idea of like, let's cut away. Let's cut away to the next scene. That, oh, that's a, that feels like a, uh, something about film and TV that, that just bothers me. Can I just ask that then, Bruce? So then what, because your plays have, do have social, I mean, they do have social justice bents to them and messages and things. So is that, so you're saying that came later? I mean, what is the point of that then to you? Well, I mean, they do have, okay, I guess I'd say political or social content. But I would say the content that they most consistently have is one of being, of offering a kind of heterodox idea. Because what you're saying about um, writing for commission being a good thing, I think that is an extremely good thing because you know the audience that you're writing it for. So what I think of, what I try to do is um, ask myself, what is the assumption that this audience is arriving with and how do I rattle that assumption to some extent? I mean, I'm not, I'm not really pushing any agenda, any particular like, you know, men's, white men's empowerment agenda. I've got no, you know, ax to grind for my people. I don't give a shit about my people. But, you know, I'm there. I think what's interesting about what, what a play can do is it can present an idea for you in a way that you have never considered it before and can upset your preconception. Right. So then the, what, what I would perceive is like, um, an outcome or a trajectory is really just coming from what your personal, you know, 
I know social bent is in other words, it's, I, you're I, saying I, it's just happenstance I, that it follows your social bent. I think and it, not an it, intention. Sorry, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, no, I, I just think it changes with the given circumstance that I'm contrary no matter what the, so if I'm in a room full of uh, Democrats, I argue the uh, uh, Republican line, but just because to see their expression. And if I'm in a room full of conservatives, which I find myself because I grew up in Texas, then I argue the left. I mean, I just feel like that's kind of what I do and it's reflexive and probably something I should, you know, be seeing a professional to help work out. Both of you like to punch up, right? I mean, that's, you know. I think that we like to say things like, you know, punching up is good, punching down is bad, you know, dismantling privilege is good, hurting those who are disenfranchised is bad. We have a, vir a lot of virtuous sayings that we like to use on the left. But I feel like what, what we want to do is figure out where privilege lies in the theater where we're performing at a given moment. Like if you're performing at, a, at ACT or Playwrights Horizons, you have to assess who actually is sitting there. And is, is it really a, a, a major concern of the audiences that are sitting at Playwrights Horizons that, that, um, that Native people are being treated this way or that say gay people are being treated? I mean, obviously there'll be a lot of unanimous applause for, for a virtuous um, gesture in the theater. But, I think there's also the possibility of doing something more perverse and interesting, which is to um, discombobulate your audience um, to the point where they don't know where to, I, I mean, I'm giving cre credit to Larissa again. One of the things Thanksgiving play does really well is it discombobulates our sense of where we land. I, if I can, there's a, I've referred to this before. There's a great, my favorite sketch on Monty Python is this sketch called Confuse a Cat, where, um, uh, there's a cat that the couple has that's too lethargic and it doesn't get out of its, you know, cat bed. And so they hire the um, Graham Chapman and a bunch of other people to come and confuse the cat. And they put on a show for the cat that's just a kind of a bizarre um, theater of the absurd, inexplicable pageant. And the cat suddenly springs out of its lethargy and, and you know, trots off to eat its meal and drink its milk. And I feel like confuse a cat is what we do. We just take the cat, which is our lethargic audience that has a set of assumptions, and we try to confuse it temporarily so that something is rattled in the brain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I think we definitely do doing the same things in different ways with our work, for sure. Um, yeah, because we talked about that analogy before with that story. And I think, too, I mean, because, right, so biologically, because I'm, I'm a little bit of a um, neuroscience nerd, right, it's about you know, how uh, we process things in the brain. So really all we're doing, what Bruce and I are both doing, and not that I know all of Bruce's plays, but the ones I know, you know, what we're both doing is taking things that you think are, you take people down um, paths in your brain that you feel are familiar and then screw it up, right? And so our, our brain, you know, is wired to recognize pattern and to enjoy pattern and create pattern. And so what we're just doing is disrupting those patterns. If you disrupt those patterns, then you disrupt, the, then people have to find new patterns and that's actually creating new ways of thinking and forces them into ways that may create new ideas. And that, that's really all we're doing is very simple brain chemistry. And part of what you're doing in Thanksgiving play is you're representing white people's attitudes about native experiences. You're representing them and depicting the absurdity of our positions, which is incredibly great because you're making us indirectly making us a figure of fun by showing us our, how our liberal, you know, notions go astray. Right, yeah, totally.
and sadly, you know, as I always say, and you guys both know this as theater makers, right? That if I wrote things actually the way they happen, actually the way people said it to me, no one believes it, right. you know, because it's right. so much worse, yeah. <laughs> so much worse. I'm sure. So, so 10 years in without, without um, sort of turning the corner and, and causing harm and pain, but 10 years in, you said you had like a, a project, you know, in the American theater. Do you feel that it's quote unquote getting better? Is it, you know, that the, like the fact that, that, that more people are talking about how bad it is, is that indicative of it's better? Yeah, it's so much better. I mean, when I first, so I started playwriting 13 years ago. And when I first started, there were years where like several years in a row where I was like the only Lork commission. I'm a Lork girl, right? So I'm like the only Lork commission in the country for like several years from a Native American, sorry, Native American writer. I mean, that's just crazy to be like the only one. And and so often, you know, Playwrights Horizons as the first Native American um, female playwright on in a major off-Broadway house, the first Native American playwright to ever have a full-length play in a major off-Broadway house. Like that's just in 20, was it 19 something? I don't know, it's on my wall somewhere. Um, you know, like that's just crazy and ridiculous. But so those things are still happening. But along that route, you know, my goal has just been to, you know, keep the doors open because for whatever, you know, there's many reasons, colorism, um, my uh, upbringing in a Western tradition, uh, Western artistic tradition, you know, whatever that allows me, I'm a translator that can translate indigenous culture and white culture. And, and I, I'm a bridge and understand both and code switching and all that stuff, right? I'm allowed into rooms and, and a certain amount of talent. I'm allowed into rooms that um, other native folks have not been allowed into. And so for me, the whole point of getting in those rooms has always been then to open the door and, and hold the door open and, and get more people in, get audiences in. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, it's definitely, it's changed. Now there's Native American writers commissioned all over the country. There's other Native people being produced all over the country in New York and everywhere else. Um, there's Native actors being cast in Native roles, which is just a huge step that was not, it's still not happening everywhere, but it's getting better and better. Um, we're getting Native audiences um, into theaters um, and just having awareness. Just people actually know that there are Native Americans in the room, in the world is <laughs> huge. Mm -hmm. Um, the first TCG conference I went to was the first one that Carmen Morgan did on diversity and inclusion. And I went and um, Ralph Remington told me, you've got to go to this because they're doing this whole thing on diversity and inclusion. So when they kicked off all that and there's not one Native American person speaking the whole weekend, right? And I went and every single talk, not only was there not a Native American person speaking, there was, we weren't even counted, like all these charts from all the experts on diversity, equity, inclusion, not one chart said Native American. It always was African-American, you know, Hispanic, Asian American other. And it's like, you're standing on our ground and you can't even recognize, like, I know the number is zero, but you need to put that number up there. You need to put Native American zero. And you need to see that number every day. And I stood up after every stupid talk and said, hello, where's pastors again? You know, what the hell? Um, and so, you know, that's when I, I started my trajectory. I realized that was 10 years ago when I was like, okay, we need to change this. And so, you know, the number still isn't always there, but people are, I think, the change is, is massive from where it was when I started 13 years ago in this business. Um, and especially coming from an outsider. So I wasn't coming at it with a certain amount of love or desire. I was commissioned into this business. I didn't look for my first job. I'm, I'm highly, highly privileged. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I was looking at it with a very analytical lens and, and without a love for it. And so um, I've been pretty hard on it, but I feel like American theater is definitely really trying to raise their game. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just me. I mean, there's tons of people, yeah. but 
I personally had a plan. Amazing. I love having a 10-year plan because this podcast is called Place Here, Time Now. Place Here, Time Now is sort of, you know, evokes what some plays have where, you know, you have the setting, you have the time. And I will read a Paula Vogel, Place Here, Time Now. And then I'm going to ask the two of you to also do like where you are. So a little, a little setting, a little, you know, sort of time moniker to it. So this is Paula Vogel's oldest profession. A sunny day in October, one week before the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980, a long bench on 72nd Street and Broadway, New York City. Vera, Lillian, Ursula, and May sit in the sun. They are finishing a sumptuous lunch. May reads the paper. Lillian finishes coffee out of a paper bag from Jimmy the Greek. So that's her place here, time now. How about Bruce? Uh I'm sitting in a house in Phillipston, Massachusetts. Uh, very, very pretty house owned by some friends uh, of, of mine and my girlfriends. Uh, it's on a lake. I'm looking out the window as we speak toward this lake uh, with um, some boats floating at little docks. And um, um, I'm nervous that the person who owns a jet ski on the other side of the lake is going to start um, uh, riding past here and interrupting the podcast. Uh, I'm sitting on a little wooden stool in front of the window with my computer propped up in front of me, uh, in front of me on a green and white pillow. And uh, it's six o'clock in the evening and I'm looking forward to having some wine to drink in about an hour. Larissa. Um, so if I was writing this play, I would say uh, that she is in a home in Big Bear today. And that's all I'd say. Um, but if I was playing your game, <laughs> I was like, wow, I've never written an introduction to a play that was as long as Paula Vogel's. Um, I would say that I am standing on one leg on a wobble board at a standing desk because uh, she cannot stand or sit still for more than a minute at a time. And that she has a certain amount of tension because she has fallen off this wobble board during meetings in the past. And looking out a window, full of pine trees on a beautifully cloudy sky on what has been during what has been an extremely hot hot climate change fueled week in southern california lights up <laughs> bruce were you, were you gonna I say something say, i i feel that the way i describe um you pam as having a you know you, your three-point shooter approach to getting into um arguments I feel like I've observed Larissa now a couple of years and I feel like she does a, a different version of that, which is she actually waits till it looks like a meeting is about to end. And then let's, let's everyone know that she disapproves of everything that has gone here to <laughs> the last two hours. She's been silent now. And she would say, no, we should throw out everything that we've discussed. And by the way, I hope everything that we're doing crashes and burns. <laughs> And then it was really funny is that Adam Greenfield and I call actually have always called it being Bruce Norris because we feel like you do that in all of our really? meetings. <laughs> We're like, oh, we got Bruce Norris again in another meeting. <laughs> I mean, I do it in a different way for sure. I do it on like a stand on an ethical high horse of Native Americanness, and it forces people to have to listen and agree with you. Me. You could just change the first syllable of your last <laughs> name to High. It could be Larissa High. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You could try that. I suspect it's been done. 
Thanks so much for listening. That was my conversation with Larissa Fasthorse and Bruce Norris. This is Place Here, Time Now. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.